It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Oftentimes, it feels like when we are in the discussion of manifesting, having your dreams be actualized into reality and really just thinking big. I know that on first glance or first listen, these terms might seem a little bit cliche or or we've heard them over and over and over again. But prior to hitting the record button with our incredible guest Kelly here today, we were having our wonderful off-microphone banter and she gave me some just eye-popping news. I know we don't know each other, Kelly. However, I love hearing about people's successes. I love hearing about people manifesting their dreams and having these things come to fruition. The interesting thing about what you shared, and I want you to share it because you also said you haven't shared this publicly, which here on this might get uncomfortable. We love (laughs) when guests come on and say like, I've never said this before, but here I go. We love that. The thing that is so interesting about about you manifesting these incredible dreams that you're going to share in a moment is I think that it goes against a narrative that it is so hard and you have to grind and push and fight and claw for the things you want in life. I think that's a pretty common narrative, especially in the Western culture. So Kelly, I want you to just kind of blow our listeners' minds as you just did mine (laughs) about the amazing things that have coalesced for you in your life right now and also your philosophy around actualizing dreams and manifesting, because I feel like it goes against this typical narrative. So welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, you guys. What fun times to be chatting with you. Yeah, my life is crazy right now in all the best ways. So about a week and a half ago, we were in Kauai for vacation, my now fiance and I. And we were at lunch, and he just randomly started perusing Redfin and found our dream home. And it had only been on the market for two hours. And we were like, holy shit, we need this house. It literally checks every box we have. And so we reached out to our real estate agent and good friend here in Denver. And she hopped on it, got all the info. And when we got back a day later, we put in the offer and we got the house the next day. Meanwhile, four hours after he finds this house online, proposes to me and shocks the shit out of me. I had no idea it was coming. I mean, we're very committed and we're like doing the thing, but I didn't know it was coming now, let alone in Hawaii. And so it has been such a wild time. And now we're knee deep in wedding planning because we're like, let's just do the thing. And so it's all happening at once. And it's just so interesting because I know you guys don't know me very well, but... Former Kelly had a stick up her ass for a long time and was very much a perfectionist and a control freak. And so I always was so attached to how things needed to look and planning and timelines and all this stuff. And a week before we went to Hawaii, I was talking to some of my closest girlfriends and we had all just been in Tulum and had all these like awakenings and just beautiful experiences. And I finally said, I release all attachment to timelines and control. Whenever we are meant to find our house, whenever we get engaged, whenever we get married, whenever we get pregnant, like it's going to happen. I am no longer controlling this. I let go. And a week later, all of this happened. And it has been a whirlwind. And like 
the most beautiful lesson I have ever received because it was so quick and so tangible. You know, you can feel it. I'm going through it. I'm experiencing it so quickly after stating those things. And it is opening my eyes. And I love Jason that you said this just about how we force things and we believe it has to be hard. I had this awareness in Tulum. I thought, what if I lived my life with ease? Why is that not possible? And so I just started to switch the lens through which I was looking at life and how I operate. And I see everything through a lens of ease and flow and joy and fun. And that is the experience I'm having now. So I'm, I'm new in this situation. I haven't really talked about this much at all. So interesting to be sitting here and saying, I switched the lens. I actually let go and look at what opened up. So would you call that manifesting? Because it doesn't sound quite like manifesting to me. I, I think Jason used that word. But to me, it, it does sound more like letting go and releasing attachments, which I perceive to be different than manifesting. It's so interesting you bring that up. Someone asked me that the other day. I actually really believe they go hand in hand. I'm not a vision boarder. I am not someone who says, okay, it has to look exactly like this and make it, you know, do the thing. And it has to come on this timeline because I used to do that. And very much like I got a lot of the things that I wanted, but also hated myself and hated my life. So it kind of didn't make sense to me. So I look at myself now and I am a manifester according to human design. And so I speak things into existence and they happen. I say I want something or I desire something and it comes together. No, it doesn't always look the way I wanted it to and often comes on a very different timeline than I had expected. But when I ask for something or I state it out loud or I share this is my dream and this is what I hope for, I want to create, it always finds a way to come together. And so I do feel like there's this kind of it's this coming together of releasing, letting go, surrendering, and trusting the universe at the same time of asking for what you desire and really being bold about it. And also being very gracious and humble when you get this thing that doesn't look exactly the way you thought it was going to, and your prayer is still answered. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it completely makes sense. It, it also, I think, is interesting because a lot of the sort of archetypical I think at least previous information, you know, from, from a lot of, I don't know, thought leaders, online business gurus, we could interchange a lot of terminologies here are like, you know, set hard deadlines, put a date on it, you know, have the exact amount of money you want to make. You know, if you want a new car, it's got to be this color and this model and this thing. And, and if you want to manifest a partner, you know, write your list of desired qualities and don't compromise until you get exactly what you want. But to your point, Kelly, and the reason that I think what you're saying is so resonant for me is because I am unwinding right now my control freak tendencies. And I've realized that for me, the reason that I, it's taking me so long to unwind it, I think, is because it's been a protective mechanism that has kept me safe. Whereas in childhood, because I didn't feel safe in childhood for a lot of factors in my family and my relationship with my father, things like that. It felt like if I could manipulate and control my external circumstances in the outside world, then I would never be hurt again. And of course, we know that's not true. We know that there's no way to avoid heartbreak, avoid loss. It's part of the human experience. But this idea of letting go and this recent experience and what you've seen shown up since then, it's interesting because when I receive that, 
like intellectually I grok it. I'm like, that's a, yes, yes, Kelly, we got to let go. But then there's still that little part of me, the child part of me that's like, mm, but what's going to happen if we fully really, oh my God. So it's interesting how it brings up that fear. And I'm curious in your process, your inner control freak, was that based on a trauma response or something you experienced in your childhood or younger years? Like, where did that come from? And also now that you're in this new lens that you described, do you observe that old paradigm or that old thought pattern coming back at any moment? Does it arise anymore? And if so, what do you do with it? Yeah. Holy loaded fucking questions. <laughs> it's so good. This is it. Like this is fucking it right now. This conversation right here. This is what I want everyone in the whole world to hear because I think this is like the whole point. It's learning to trust. This comes up for me every day. Like it is so deeply ingrained in who I am. And I've only been in this personal development, spiritual journey for like three, three and a half years. So I'm still relatively new. And it's so deeply ingrained in who I am and the decisions I make. And so I am constantly taking like this bird's eye view of myself, my life, my actions, how I operate and just seeing myself and witnessing myself in that and noticing when it comes in. And it comes in with the dumbest things and it comes in with the biggest things in life. And so I am constantly just in awareness and I really try hard not to judge myself and just sit there and see it happening and see why it's coming up and ask myself the better question so that I can get to the root of what's happening. To your point about like where this came from and how it comes up, I look at my childhood and I always wanted to be perfect. I never wanted anyone to dis be disappointed in me. And I was super competitive and I had to be better than everyone because I believed that getting that attention and that validation meant I was worthy and that I added value and that I was lovable, which I think probably a majority of us go through that experience to some extent. And so I always felt like if I failed or I didn't do something right, I would completely melt down because I thought that I was such a loser and my parents weren't going to love me and people were going to be mad at me and the teachers would think something poor about me. So I was always in that people pleasing and doing and trying so hard. And I realized over the past few years that I don't have to live in that space. What's important for me is to honor myself and where I am and that there is no sense of perfection. There is no way I'm ever going to always get the gold star and be the best. And I had to really sit with that and ask myself, if I'm not perfect, if I'm not the best all the time, if I'm not constantly pleasing people, who am I? Who am I at my core? What is my worth and value? That's a conversation I had a lot with myself when I was in television. I was hosting and doing sideline reporting for the Lakers and the Dodgers in an industry where it's all about how you look and people telling you how hot you are and how amazing you are and who you have access to. And all I cared about was how I looked, my exterior, and if the guys would talk to me after the game and how important it was to get the interview. So I had wrapped all of this up in my identity of what I looked like and it was finally when I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't realize how I'd gotten there. And I started to ask myself those questions. Who am I without all this shit that is such a distraction at my core? And what does that look like? And how do I want to feel? And how do I want to operate? What you're describing is something I've noticed within myself and a lot of others. And I'm really fascinated by it culturally. 
it came up when I was reading this book, Selfie, which examined a lot of how parenting impacted a lot of us who are millennials. I'm curious if it's true of Gen Z. I'm not sure how much parenting has shifted since then, but also Gen X. I think there's a lot of people that grew up seeking validation. Either they had parents that praised them a lot, and so people just got like really hooked on getting praise, or they didn't get it and they're always seeking it. That was more me I'm, or maybe a mix because my parents have always been very supportive, but they encouraged me to be a high achiever. So I felt like I could never quite be good enough. And then I struggled, I think, neurologically with my brain function in school. And I would feel like I would try so hard and I really wanted to do well. But despite how hard I would try, I wouldn't quite get the grade. So I got into this cycle of like, I got to keep trying harder and harder and I got to get there. And then, you know, you get it once, but then you want it again. And similar to you and Jason as well, living in Los Angeles, working in, in the entertainment industries and that competitive nature that you get sucked into and you begin to lose sight of yourself. But if you spend the time to develop that self-awareness and dig in, you realize how empty all that is. Because no matter how many times somebody tells you you're great, gives you a pat on the back, tells you you're attractive, you know, no matter what gigs you get and how much money you make, like all of that ends up feeling unfulfilling. And then it's like, oh shit, <laughs> now, now what? And I'm just like hearing your story and hearing so many people talk about this. I'm curious, Kelly, why do you think that that is such a common thing? You know, like for, it feels like a lot of women are having this realization. So Jason, I want to hear from you too, if you hear men talking about the same thing, but maybe it's because a gender related issue too, where so many women are sexualized and praised, you know, it's like, if you have the physical features that somebody likes, you get something out of it. And we see it right now with a lot of women choosing to use platforms like OnlyFans, for example, which I'm fascinated by. You know, I know sexuality is something that you're passionate about. And it's like, there's one side of me that's like, great, women should do what they please with their body. Like they should be, feel in control. There's no shame in that. But then I wonder, are they just perpetuating this male gaze? which is a subject we actually haven't talked about. So I'd love to dig into that with you too, if you're interested, like how parenting and the male gaze has affected women. But I think it's also really affected men, maybe just in an indirect way. Whitney, I'm so glad you brought that up. OnlyFans is so interesting to me. I actually, because I post pictures and sometimes I have bras and underwear on, people keep asking me if I'm going to start an OnlyFans. And that is the last thing that I would want to do. But I also have a lot of friends who have OnlyFans. So here's where I stand. I used to post sexy pictures of myself, whether it was on TV with short skirts at the beach, whatever. And all I cared about was people telling me that I looked good. Like my intention was get the most attention as possible. And this will make you whole or whatever it is I was seeking. And now for me, when I post pictures... I just feel really good in my body for the first time. I feel whole. I feel like the sexual woman that I am. I feel powerful. I feel connected to myself. I love myself for the first time, which is something I 
could never say probably up until a couple years ago. And so for me, it's like, how can I be proud of myself for everything that I've done to get my body to this point through eating disorders and chronic illness to mentally and emotionally be in a place where I feel really confident and proud of who I am and to share that with people. Because part of what I believe that I do is give people permission to ask themselves those questions and look at themselves in the mirror and say, where am I not in integrity? Where am I out of alignment? Where do I not feel good about myself? And it's okay to get curious about those things and to also share yourself in a really raw way. So I think that when you have an OnlyFans or you're sharing photos, whether you're half naked or not, you could be fully clothed with a bag on your head. I don't care. I really feel like it comes down to intention. What is your intention? What are we seeking? What do we feel empty within us that we are trying to fill up? I have so many friends who I really believe feel whole and connected to their bodies and are extremely grounded and rooted and have OnlyFans, and they don't do it because they feel empty. It is a beautiful project. It is artwork. It is a way to connect with people. And on top of that, most of these women, they're actually interacting more with women in their OnlyFans. They're actually talking to women and having powerful conversations. I've never been in OnlyFans, but I guess you can talk in there. And so they're like connecting with other women and women complimenting each other and having these really beautiful experiences. And to me, that's the best. I'm bisexual. I definitely do not post pictures for men to gawk at me and, you know, whistle at me and tell me how hot I am. I've lived that life and it does not lead anywhere (laughs) except to feeling really bad about yourself. And so for me, if a woman compliments me, it feels so good because I really feel seen. And I think that as women, when we compliment each other in any way on our success, on our looks, on you know how we lead, whatever it is, it carries so much weight. And so I watch my friends and I see the way they interact with women and I see the bonds that they create or just the way they're shifting the paradigm around that conversation. And I think there's something here. And yes, on the surface, it seems like this wannabe porn site, I'm sure. But I think there's a lot of people out there with a different intention who are actually shifting the narrative and the conversation around what it can mean to share your body and that be a work of art and that be appreciated on a deeper level. And also what that can lead to in giving other people permission to explore things for themselves. I love that you brought that up because I'd love to talk about pornography as well, which is something we've only talked about a few times on this show. It just just doesn't come up very often. And mostly in the sense of, to your point, how I have mixed feelings on it, you know? And, And I think I have mixed feelings because there's a lot of things that are disturbing to me about the porn industry. And there's a lot of ignorance I have. I want to learn more about sexual trafficking, for an example. And I don't want to participate in any way and it seems like there's a huge issue with that. And it's really tough because it is an industry. It's playing off our human desires to experience pleasure. And for that, I think it's wonderful when people have pleasure. I think sex is wonderful. I think to your point, expressing yourself and feeling powerful in your body. And OnlyFans you know, seems very different in the sense that it seems like people have more control over what they're posting and how, and much more control about the finances because people can set their own prices. They're very aware. Everything's up front. I mean, you see these incredible stories of people making money on there. 
But then the money side of it, I think, becomes an issue because that also triggers this primal need for us, like the need to feel validated, seen, experience pleasure, and make money. All of these things that come up, I can see the draw to OnlyFans, you know, and I'm curious about it. I haven't found like a moment where I thought, oh, you know what? I'll give it a try. <laughs> I, there's no shame in it. And I, I'm curious about how you can use OnlyFans in unique ways and not this cliche sexual way. And again, I guess even maybe you can express yourself sexually in a very different way than others and not the straightforward like naked photos and sexy poses and whatever else is on there. But like you, Kelly, I've never even seen what's on OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know really what people are doing. I'm just guessing. But my main point is this around the intersection between that and pornography and how there's all different ways that people use those tools. And so it's not all bad, but we do need to step back and ask ourselves how we're using these tools and how we're contributing. And my hesitation tends to be, okay, I don't, I obviously, like I said, I don't want to contribute to sex trafficking. I don't want to be over-sexualized as a woman. I don't want my power to be in my appearance and whether or not somebody finds me sexually attractive. And that's where I start to hesitate with things like that, like using my body and or perceived beauty to make money or get attention and fill that void. And there's another side of it where I don't want to lead as an example of that. And going back to something else you said, Kelly, it's like, you know, when we post pictures online, certainly people receive them and may want to compliment us. But then there's that other level in their head where as a human being, we have these mirror neurons. And when we see somebody do something, we might say, oh, I want to do that too. And I've been really caught up in that trap. So it's a delicate balance about what you post and how you do it. Because if you're not clear in your why, then you're not only harming yourself potentially, but other people. And I think that's why I get really on the fence about OnlyFans. I hear you 100%. And I am not responsible for your reaction to me. That's how I feel. And not you, but in general, like we are not responsible for people's responses to us. I can't control how you're going to feel about something. I could post, and this has happened. I've posted the nicest things with the best of intentions and still had people be like, I'm so offended. Whoa. And I'm just like, I don't even know. You cannot win. So for me, I had to let that go. And that's kind of the people pleaser, you know, treading on, you know, thin ice and making sure that I don't make anyone uncomfortable. I mean, your show makes people uncomfortable. I feel like my role in this world is to make people uncomfortable because if we're not uncomfortable, we're not growing. And if someone's not triggering us at some point, then we're not looking hard enough. We're not really living our lives. I get triggered all the time, all day, because I have traumas about you know, not being good enough or abandonment or not feeling good about this. And someone is always showing me, always being a mirror. And if I have a visceral response to something, that is not for that person to look at. That is for me to look at because that person's living their lives and they may not even know me. And I'm over here having a freaking hot flash because I'm looking at a picture that's making me have all the feelings. That's on me to ask myself those questions. And so I think that especially with porn, it is super nuanced. I'm with you. Sex trafficking is just 
the most horrific. And I also want nothing to do with that. And I also do feel ignorant just like you do. And I think that's a scary place to be. And I, I hate that. And I feel like so much more has been coming out. And I'm so glad because the more information we have, the better decisions we can make, the better we can invest in things like Erica Lust, which is consent-based porn done really beautifully. You pay for it. These are you know actors and sex workers. And it's an incredible way to support people in that space and to also know that the content you're getting is clean, quote unquote clean, and there are not people being trafficked in order to make it happen. For me, my relationship with porn is really interesting because when I realized that I was interested in women and that I wanted to have threesomes with my fiance, I didn't know what that meant. And I was terrified because I didn't know how to have a threesome. How do you invite someone else into the bedroom? And what positions are there for three people? I was so naive. I just truly did not know. And my fear of not knowing what to do once I got there was so overwhelming. And so I started watching porn with threesomes so that I could have some semblance of understanding. It truly was educational. And that's so funny to say out loud. But I felt like I was in, you know, one of those books, uh, How to Have a Threesome or Threesomes for Dummies, <laughs> watching porn, <laughs> because <laughs> I really didn't know. And it helped me so much, you guys. It truly helped me. It calmed a lot of my fears because I realized that it was possible and it didn't have to be super clunky and everyone could have a really interesting, cool experience if they wanted. And so it took a lot of the stress out of it for me. And even things, I told a story on a show the other day and it's just so silly, but we had this girl over and she and I were downstairs alone and he's upstairs and we were like, we should try scissoring. Well, neither of us have ever scissored. We don't know how to scissor. So we come upstairs and we asked Connor to look up a how to scissor video. And the three of us are watching a video about how to scissor. I mean, I swear to God, I cannot make this up. And so I think that there is a time and a place. I think there's an intention behind it. And I think that if we're really smart about the content that we're consuming and where we're going to get these experiences, these videos, whatever it is, then I don't see a problem with it. I think when your intention is, I'm empty, I need to fix something, I need sex because I'm addicted to it, X, Y, Z, that's when it becomes a different conversation. So I just think it's really about the way you walk into it and and what you're utilizing it for. Beautifully said. And I just have to say that I too have no idea how scissoring works. And we have an episode coming up in a few weeks with a woman named Susan. And I'm just like, after that conversation, which we recorded previous to this one, and now this conversation, I'm like, I need to just look up what scissoring is because (laughs) I'm curious about it too. And we talked a little bit in that episode how even though I don't identify as bisexual, I am just very curious about what it's like as a woman having sex with a woman. And sometimes, you know, pornography, to your point, can be a beautiful thing for education, because a lot of us might be too embarrassed to ask somebody. We might not want to like look up on YouTube, something like that, but maybe it feels safer in our heads to look it up through pornography. And like, I love open conversations about sex, but not enough people are having them. And that's one of the reasons like with this show being explicit and us talking about anything, it's like, why don't we talk about these things more often so everybody can feel safe to ask these questions? So I want to acknowledge that back to you, Kelly, that (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that exploration. I think that's just such a beautiful thing. To your point, Whitney, about not identifying as as bisexual, but being curious, I, the terminology I understand is bi-curious. I, I've had my own journey with that throughout my life as a man. And this is something I don't think I've ever... Have I ever shared this on the podcast, Whitney? Correct me. Have I talked about my sexual experiences with men? I don't think I have. I don't know if you've ever told me this Let's privately. talk. <laughs> let's talk about it. Hell, Have fuck I'm it. I'm excited about this. Fuck it. Let's do it publicly. So I was always finding myself being attracted to men, but I wasn't clear about how, like the level or the nuance of that attraction. So in my 20s and early 30s, I took to experimenting with men to the degree of making out, groping, fondling, touching, those things. But I realized after a few of those experiences, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to take this any further. I didn't feel, how do I even describe, this is going to be interesting. I don't think I've ever described attraction in my life. It didn't activate me in the way that the connection with a woman activates me. Like I realized pretty quickly after and I gave it three times because I was like, I really want to be sure about this, okay? Going to make out with another dude. Going to make out with another... Like, third time's a charm, does my dick get hard? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, Kelly. Yeah. It was like, oh, I had to ask. no, flaccid. Wait, I time just have two. to no. say, I think that you've told me that you tried it once. I didn't realize it was three times. That's super fascinating. Yeah. The last time it was a New Year's Eve party in Los Angeles... New Year's Eve 2007 into 2008 at a firehouse in downtown LA where a person fell through the firehouse roof, broke their back. The party ended real quickly. I was on LSD, made out with some guy in the stairwell. That was before the person fell through the roof. It was a talk about a unique New Year's Eve. That was probably the most unique New Year's Eve party ever. So I make out with this guy. It was the third time. Dick's not hard. It's like, you know, it's like Laffy Taffy. And I also realized that the tactile sensation of beard on beard action was not my cup of tea. I want to be the beard. I want to be the one doing the exfoliating. And I want I prefer being dominant. I do. I prefer being the dom. So I realized all of these things through these experiences, which was so valuable. I'm all saying all of this because I made a point to satisfy that curiosity and realize that, yeah, this isn't my cup of tea. Now, however, do I find the energetics and the presence and the style of certain men incredibly attractive? Absolutely. Like I can look at certain men and be like, that motherfucker's got it going on, like props. Do I want to fuck that guy? No, right? I had to make that distinction in my own mind though. So I have a deep appreciation for masculinity in many ways, but I realized it's not a sexual appreciation. It's a different, it's more of an aesthetic, soulful appreciation rather than a sexual one. I just wanted to throw that in because now it's public. <laughs> I like yeah. it. So it's interesting you say that, Connor, my fiance, always says that he's 17% gay. And then if Chris Hemsworth or I can't remember if it's Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Gosling, if he was offered to suck their dicks, he's like, I mean, I might do it. But like, it doesn't make me gay. <laughs> <laughs> and we were actually talking about this yesterday. It's like, if you let a guy suck your dick or if you suck a dick, does it make you gay? No, sometimes it's actually just about having the experience, right? It's just about yeah. that curiosity you're talking about. Well, exactly. And and this, this actually comes up a lot of, I would say, more Gen Z people on TikTok have been talking about this recently. And I wonder if that generation is going to 
be a little bit more experimental. Like we're going back into a phase of more open, fluid sexuality, which I think humanity kind of dips into every once in a while. And I think that's really exciting. And it's taking away a lot of the shame because Jason, I would imagine as a guy, maybe you, Jason Robel, don't struggle with with shame or fear, but there's a lot of fear, it seems, that men experience in their sexuality. And that's also part of this conversation, too, around, you know, you hear these kind of stories about men, like, hiding the fact that they're attracted to other men or have sexual encounters. It seems almost like a cliche in movies and TV. Like, they'll use that as a plot point sometimes. Like, don't tell anyone that we fooled around because I don't want anyone to know that I am attracted to men. And I also find what you're expressing, Jason, to be super interesting. And I wonder for myself too, and actually, Kelly, I I would like to outright ask you, considering that I don't identify as bisexual, that I, similar to Jason, find women very attractive, like beautiful. Like, I mean, their bodies and there are certain women like that I've been very drawn to, but I've never felt a strong desire to take it much further than like certain embraces or kisses or whatever. But like, I fear the experience of being more intimate with a woman. Like there's, it's like curious, but I'm also like, "Eh, I don't know if it's for me kind of to Jason's point. Like there's something about it that I'm almost like, I'm afraid that like, I wouldn't be into it. And then there'd be that awkward moment where I'm like, "Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I gotta go, you know? And I'm curious, like, how did you even realize that you were bisexual, Kelly? Like, what was that awakening like? And I imagine it's different for everybody, but like, how do you know when you're curious versus you're actually sexually interested in pursuing someone of the same sex or gender? Yeah. What I want to reflect back for anyone having this question come up, like you just phrased it for yourself is that you feel like you'd be scared. You wouldn't like it. And then it would be awkward. What I would offer is that I think you probably are more scared that you're going to like it and you don't know what to do with that feeling. I think that's where most people are actually. I wouldn't say that's true for me. Like it doesn't scare me to enjoy it, but maybe on some level, I've never thought about it that way. Consciously, it doesn't scare me. I think Mm -hmm. I'm more like, I wouldn't want to offend a woman if I was like, hey, I'm not into this. Sorry, we took it this far. But maybe that's more of like, based on my experiences with men or something like the and going back Mm -hmm. to the people pleasing, right? Like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or disappoint them. But that's interesting. I'll, I'll reflect on that for sure. Yeah, I think it's just interesting that you bring that up. And not for you, but for anyone. What I find is that oftentimes our fears are confusing to us. We don't actually know what the fear is. We tell ourselves that it's one thing when actually it's another. And I think in sexuality, that's actually very prevalent. For me, my biggest fears are actually the things that I am most aroused by. And I just had this conversation with Connor two days ago. I was crying. I was like, what the hell is going on? Because it's very confusing when the thing that scares you the most is actually something that turns you on. And we don't know what to do with that because those feel like conflicting things. And there's a lot of like psychology behind that. And I'm sure there's a million ways to pick that apart depending on who you are and what trauma you have. But for me, 
when I first realized I was interested in women, I just started to let myself have fantasies. And whether it was when I was masturbating or having sex or just being more open and curious in my day-to-day life, I started to see that the more curious I got in every aspect, the more it allowed me to be open to, well, what does this look like if I'm attracted to women? And I started noticing myself looking at women differently and thinking about past experiences and starting to put pieces together and realizing I had been suppressing these feelings for a long time and didn't really understand them. And it was the more that I had more awakenings, especially spiritually, when I first started down this path, the more I started just opening myself up and questioning all the things that I believe for so long and realizing that they weren't true, I started to look at my sexuality and I thought, well, what if it isn't super black and white? And what if I could have experiences with women? And what if threesomes were okay? And what if I created my own rules in a relationship and didn't live the way I thought I was supposed to live? And for me, that sent me down a path of exploration to see what felt good. And the first time I was with a woman, it was the most natural, normal, organic thing I've ever experienced. And I thought, well, shit. Like that's scary because I thought that this was going to be super uncomfortable. I thought I wouldn't like it. I was really, really nervous. And in reality, this is so easy and it flows and I feel the most myself and so beautiful and so held and so seen. And I feel like I'm seeing myself for the first time through her. And it was this just eye-opening, mind-blowing experience that I had never had before. And it helped me realize that the more curious I could be and the more questions I could ask around it, and the more open I was, the more fulfilling experiences I was going to have, even though it was scary. I have two. I love this just an, an unending just wave of questions, Kelly. It's so good. With this dynamic that you have with, Con- you know what? Call Connor in. Call him in. Call him in. It's time for Connor. Hit press the Connor button. But then you Hit have him. to call Laura in, Jason. I do, yeah, because my girlfriend is bisexual, oh. and this has been an interesting. It's been an interesting, very deep, loving, soulful discussion throughout a relationship. When you got together with Connor, and at some point, obviously, you told him this. What was his reaction to your bisexuality? And follow up question to that. With bringing a third in, you mentioned that there was some trauma around abandonment. Did the idea or the reality of bringing a third person in trigger abandonment issues with the both of you? So A, how did Connor react? Was there any stickiness or challenges negotiating that? And and third, how has the idea of having a third partner or a third play person, I don't know how you frame it in terms of the language, what's that done to the the trauma and the abandonment? Oh, yeah. Okay. So triggered all the wounding, (laughs) all of it over and over again. Connor's response was, yay, this is what I wanted. So perfect. Connor had been like within the open relationship community in Austin. He had never been officially in an open relationship, but was with all of those people that felt like they were spearheading that movement there. And so He really got to see the ins and outs of what it looked like, how the dynamics were, what works, what doesn't. And when he ended his relationship with his girlfriend in Austin and moved to San Diego, he was just very clear that he wanted to date different types of people, have different experiences. And the one thing that he kept coming back to was, I really want to be with a woman who is curious about women, bisexual bisexual or wants different experiences because he really likes novelty. 
and he gets bored and he wants to have cool, fun experiences with his partner. And so when we met, neither of us were looking for a relationship and he was very much off having his fun experiences with lots of different people. And I was just coming out of a relationship and was not looking for partnership. And we didn't talk about this initially, but we moved really quickly. So I would say a couple months in, I started bringing these things up to him and I'm like, Hey, I have these feelings. He's a very open person. So I felt super comfortable and he let me talk and share and didn't share anything from his side for a bit. And then he said to me, you know, this is actually something that I really wanted. And that's actually really important to me in partnership is to be able to have these experiences. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And so it sent us down this path of, well, what's possible? And how can we create our own rules for relationship? And we don't want to live by labels. We don't want to be open or poly or be in a thruple or any of these things. We just want to do what feels good and have fun. And it has been a very interesting two years of embarking on this type of relationship. And to your point about abandonment and insecurities, like my world has been rocked. It has been its own form of therapy. I have dealt with so much insecurity, so much comparison, so much abandonment. The abandonment one is just so deep. And my relationships with women in general. And it has been so healing. And I see the way I operate and the way I've been for so much of my life thinking I'm always going to be left and I'm never good enough and I never do enough. And so it always means they're not going to pick me and they're going to leave, which is why every time I've been in relationships, I'm never left. I leave. I leave before they can leave me. And so this is the first time where I have really committed to staying. Every time something gets hard, I stay and it's, I'm not in an abusive relationship. That's a totally different conversation. I'm in a healthy relationship with its own ups and downs. I want to clarify that. But I, even in those moments, choose, no, I trust and I want this. And so I'm going to stay. I'm not going to bail. And every time I have those abandonment wounding moments come up or I feel insecure, I have a therapist that I talk to. I have girlfriends I talk to. And then I also bring it to Connor and I just say, Hey, I know this feels super irrational. I know you've told me 7 million times. You're not going to leave me. I know you choose me. I, I mean, I just had this come up three days ago. He just proposed to me a week and a half ago. We just bought a new house together and I'm over here like, well, what if you leave me? How much more can he commit? Poor guy. And I said, look, I don't want to keep having this conversation. So I wanted to tell you how I'm feeling. I'm aware of it. I said, I need to cry. I need to cry and I need you to hold me and I need you to not judge me and get angry that we're having to have this conversation again. He said, okay. And he laid there and we talked through it and I cried and I explained all the things through the snot and I moved through it. And then we had some of the best sex of our lives last night because it was like we moved all of that energy out, which created the space for deep, deep intimacy. And so that's what I get. The more I work through my insecurities, the more I release the deeper intimacy and connection and pleasure I experience. And I think that's what keeps me going is knowing that I am expanding and opening up so much and I'm being fulfilled so much at the same time. This is huge. It, it's huge, Kelly. I want to pause you oh, for ahead, a second, Whitney. Jason, because I'm curious when you asked that question, were you kind of asking for yourself? Because you've spoken about um, abandonment, Jason for yourself, like, do you fear being abandoned? 
in your relationship? Like, I'm curious, since you're kind of on the other side of this, having a, you're dating a bisexual woman and like, does that fear come up for you that she might abandon you for another woman or something like that? Okay. So this is, this is super interesting. It doesn't with Laura. However, in a previous relationship a few years ago, my previous partner years ago had been had been poly for a long time with multiple partners. And she decided to be, we mutually decided to be monogamous in our relationship container. But there was always this fear that I had. And I always wonder, you know, if things become self-fulfilling prophecies, right? I had this fear that that I wasn't enough, right? That because she had been poly before me and had been with three different men at once, you know, she had been dating three different guys simultaneously, that it was this fear of like, wow, she was with three guys at once and now she just wants to be with me. How the fuck am I going to fill that space in her life that three men previously filled? So I had this constant fear of not enoughness. And after the relationship ended, she went back to being poly, right? So again, I don't want to talk about the psycho-spiritual dynamics of of self-fulfilling prophecies and and also don't want to blame myself. I don't think that's useful. But it was interesting to notice that the fear that I carried of my not-enoughness through that relationship did, I think, contribute to the dissolving of that container. And then she immediately went back to being poly. The difference with my current relationship is that She has expressed that she has no interest in being with other men. And I believe that. I intuitively like feel that. So the interesting thing, Whitney, to your your question is, I don't feel a sense of uh, fear around abandonment or a threat of, I suppose, losing someone if they're into other women. But I have felt that in the past when they were into other men or wanted to potentially be with other men. And that's been something I've had to unpack for years around, you know, sort of like, I don't even know that this old like wiring of being like the alpha male and being aggro and having to be more masculine so you won't go with and be with another guy and a lot of outdated old shit that didn't really result in her staying. So as I kind of ramped up my alpha maleness to try and repel the other men, it kind of backfired. <laughs> I have another follow-up question for both of you, which is, Kelly, I can re- relate to a lot of what you're saying about the people-pleasing and the not-enoughness. That's a huge part of my journey and wounds that come up for me. And there's that book, it's called Attached, and there's Anxious versus Avoidant. I'm very anxious in relationships, and that comes up, and I've learned to work more towards a secure place, but still have work to do. Jason's avoidant. And so I was also wondering, like with with some of your experiences, Jason, like it's it's got to be different than I would experience it being an anxious person. Kelly, are you also an anxious attachment style or, or a recovering anxious attachment? Yeah, I'm on the healthy side of anxious and Connor's on the healthy side of avoidant. So we're slowly coming to in the middle, I guess. <laughs> and Jason, do you know if Laura is on the anxious side? Because it's very common for anxious and avoidance to be attracted to one another, but that can be a huge challenge in relationships. I think that she probably is. I don't want to diagnose Laura. It's not, <laughs> it's not my place to diagnose her. However, I have observed that she craves and asks for reassurance in different ways than I do. It seems that her desire for 
verbal reassurance, kind of similar in some ways to what you described with your dynamic with Connor Kelly. I, I find that that's kind of a mirror to my experience with with my partner, Laura. So if I had to venture a guess, I would also say that she probably has prototypical anxious and I'm working through my avoidant tendencies and and I'm proud of the progress that I'm making in the sense that I've I've observed situations that have come up with Laura that are similar, not the exact, but similar or reminiscent of situations I've had with partners in the past. And in the past, I've been like, I'm done. I'm out. Bye. Fuck this. Done. Like, it's not. Nope. Similar to what you said, Kelly, where it's like, no, I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me. See ya. Deuces. Certain situations have come up with Laura where in the past I would be like, I'm out, outie, done. And I've stayed. I've stayed in the discomfort. I've stayed in the pain. I've stayed in the what the fuck is happening. And that's been so rewarding for so many reasons. So I'm working on my avoidant tendencies and creating, I suppose, pattern interrupts where I'm not bailing when I get triggered in certain ways or bailing when things, quote, get hard. And yeah, so for me, I, I suppose on the healthier side of avoidant, working on it, it feels good. It feels good to work on it. I love that you bring that up, though, because I, I just I don't feel like enough people have the patience to stay and to trust and to see what comes forward. There's so many times I've really been reflecting since we got engaged because I feel like it's just been a whirlwind the last two years and I'm like, wow, I'm thinking back to all the moments where we almost broke up, where we got in a huge fight. And I'm like, look at us. We made it to this far. And I've never been in a relationship past two years. And we're, I don't know, two years and four months or something. And it's just so funny because the reason that we're here is because when we wanted to punch each other and hated each other and were fighting and couldn't see eye to eye and felt no compassion, we're like, fuck you. We stayed. We got angry, we fought, we did the thing. And I remember there was this one night and it was probably the worst fight we've ever had. He literally came downstairs and started packing a bag and was looking at apartments and was like, I'm done with this shit. Like, this is not okay. And was yelling and he's not a yeller. And I was freaking out. And I remember I kind of gave him some space for a few minutes. And then I walked downstairs and he was just laying on the bed. And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. But he stayed and he just laid on the bed and he just waited and he didn't know what he was doing. He just felt this need to just sit with it. And we talked and it was one of the most profound moments for our relationship because he chose to stay and have the conversation. And I think we are, especially in our society now, it's just that immediate gratification and well, fuck you. There's 700 people on Bumble just waiting for me to swipe right on them. There's just so many options. How often do we really stay where we are and say, what do I get to learn here? Where do I get to take responsibility in this experience? Where do I get to take responsibility for creating my own reality? And how am I participating? And what is it that I want to get out of this? Because if we want deep, meaningful, close relationships that are connected and intimate, you get to stay in those moments. Running away is just going to perpetuate the same cycle over and over again. And you're really keeping yourself from meeting yourself. It's not even about meeting the other person or creating intimacy with someone else. It's you're running away from your own intimacy. This is an interesting thing too, because in the dynamic you have with Connor, Kelly, how do you decide when you are dealing with something that's very difficult, very painful, very confusing for you? Because to your point, I completely agree 
that I think rela- all relationships, especially intimate ones, though, are a container for revelation and growth and knowing self. I completely agree with that. When things are hard, difficult, scary, fucked up, what the hell is going on? How do you decide what to bring to your therapist, what to bring to your friends, and what to bring to Connor? Because it feels like that, you know, I don't know, maybe depending on the level of severity, pain, how do you decipher what to bring to whom in your life for support? This is an amazing question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me this. So first of all, I want to start this with your partner is not your everything. I just learned that. <laughs> I sound so woke. And then I'm like, I learned that five minutes ago. I learned that a couple years ago. I did not know. I really thought your partner was supposed to be everything. Your best friend, the person you do everything with, you process everything with. I thought that was it. I just had no idea. So I want to share that with everyone who may not know that revelation. Beyond that, you need people. We are meant to be in villages, in tribes with our people in community. That is how you raise children. That is how you are in relationship, in family. And we have lost that. And when I think about that, I think about my sisterhood of women that I get to rely on. And I think about my incredible therapist and Connor and I did somatic therapy together. So we had therapists together. So we had them for about six, eight months that we had them to rely on. And then we have the container of our relationship. And for me, this goes back to knowing each other and having compassion, understanding each other's attachment styles, wounding, all of that communication. I know that Connor feels attacked if I bring something to him in a really high emotional state that I have not yet processed at all, it's like, I am triggered. I'm freaking out. I'm coming at you. And it's really overwhelming for him because I also am physically overwhelming. I want to smother him and be on top of him. And he is avoidant and really likes distance. So as we have learned over the last two years, it's really important to create distance and to also not have super high emotional conversations. Now, is it going to happen? Yes, of course. But what I do is if I'm really upset about something, I now take time before jumping on him or responding or saying, oh my God, I'm freaking out about this thing. Because for me, it's usually I need something for myself. I need to be held. I need to take a bath. I'm not doing enough self-care. I'm not taking care of me. And so I'm feeling chaotic, out of my body, ungrounded. And so my response is just all over the place. So if I take a little time and I think about it and I ask myself, okay, what is it that I need right now? Not why is he pissing me off and why is he such a dick? It always comes back to something is going on inside of me and he's just happening to trigger it. And maybe he is being a dick and we got to talk about it. Or maybe he did something that wasn't okay and it requires a conversation, but it doesn't require a conversation the way I would initially have it. So that's that part. I pause, I wait, we show each other compassion and we have more grounded conversations that feel productive. I also have found that rather than going to him immediately with a lot of things, it's been really helpful to talk to my therapist when it's something that I'm confused about or I'm personally experiencing and he's just a part of. So much of what is difficult for me really has nothing to do with him. He's kind of just like this bystander in my experience. I'm the one that's in my head panicking, feeling anxiety. I don't like the unknown. I don't like new experiences where I feel out of control. That has nothing to do with him, though he's a part of them. So if I can take that and go to therapists or talk to my girlfriends and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is how my body is feeling. Then I can process it with them. 
and then understand what's happening and then take it to him and say, Hey, this is kind of what I've been feeling. This really has nothing to do with you. I just wanted you to, to know where I am and that this is something I'm trying to work through. I think that's a beautiful approach because if I think about conversations where friends or my partner or my mom, anyone that I'm close to really intimate in my life will say, well, why, why are you upset? What's wrong? What's going on? What, what's, you know, what's happening? And I don't have clarity. It's difficult to move that conversation forward. If I'm not even sure what's happening inside of myself to your point, Kelly, I think that's such wonderful advice and wisdom you're sharing with us and our, our listeners, because I often need to tell people in my life, I don't know can I bring this back to you when I'm clear? And that's been tough because sometimes in my life, people were like, no, but let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it now. And I'm like, I'm not ready to talk about it now because I need clarity within myself so we can have a structure to have a, a productive and loving conversation. And if I don't have that clarity tends to just kind of go round and round in circles with that person. So that's just, that's a gold mine you just shared with this whole new process. I want to go back to the beginning of letting go and surrendering. Have you had freak out moments in the midst of this of like, because to me, it's almost like trying on, I don't know why I get like suit, maybe because you talked about Chris Hemsworth and I'm thinking about Thor, but it's almost like you have this new like superhero suit where you're like, I've got all these, oh shit, I've got these powers. Oh, wow. Oh my God. I'm kind of freaked out by these new powers I've got. It's kind of like the archetypical superhero story when the superhero or superheroine realizes their powers and it's exciting, but it's also terrifying as shit. Have you had those moments in this right now, of course, all this process of incredible dreams coming true and the engagement in the house and everything that's going on? Have you had that moment of like, oh, what am I going to do with these powers? Uh, yeah, I've had all the feelings. And what I am currently experiencing is a level of self-awareness that I've never had before. And I believe that I'm one of the most self-aware people I've ever been around. It's just kind of how I am. And it's taken to the nth degree right now. Everything I do, I'm watching from above. I'm so aware of every single moment and how it's playing out. And it feels like time has slowed down and expanded. So I'm really experiencing everything. And I think part of that is because I'm actually present and enjoy in these moments rather than rushing through and grinding and being bridezilla and panicking about a house and all these things. I have gone in with the attention of ease and joy and playfulness. And so it feels like my whole life is just time is truly bending and expanding for me to really be present to the moments because I wasn't for so long and I missed so much of my life because I was so focused on doing and how hard can I work and I have to take care of all these things. And I have more to-do lists on my plate right now than I think I ever have. And I feel really at peace and really good. And I believe that it's the intention. And I know that I've had these powers for so long. I think that it is part of the letting go. As I've let go, I've created space to invite in all of these awarenesses and clearing my channel and understanding what I am actually capable of on a soul level, not just in this like meat suit, but really meeting my soul for the first time and acknowledging it. And it's really exciting. And it also, brings me to my knees in a way. We had a really hard year last year. My mom passed away from cancer and then our puppy was killed in a really tragic accident. And 
Connor and I were just broken. I mean, it was just horrible. And so we went and obviously everyone's in a pandemic. So that was shitty too. So it was all the things at once. And so I, I just went through a year of like really, really deep grief and sadness and fully broken and wondering what's the point of life. And I literally thought to myself multiple times, I want to die so I can go be with our puppy. Cause he felt like my baby. And I'm like, what's the point? And that was the most powerful thing for me because, and I credit who I am now to those experiences because it broke me and I sh- it showed me I didn't have control and it showed me what matters. It showed me my priorities. It showed me my core values. It showed me how much love I have for my little family and what I actually care about. And so this year has so much been surrendering and letting go to whatever is meant for me and welcoming in all of that because I've seen how bad it can be. It's like your worst nightmares come to life. And so now I think that I have that perspective. And so I'm able to see so much more clearly and welcome in these experiences because like my container expanded. I have the sadness and grief and fear and trauma and pain. And because I experienced it so deeply and I just sat with it and went there, that's why I feel like I'm able to have what I have now because I opened up that container so that it could keep growing and that I could have that joy and abundance and all the things. I, first of all, just want to say, I'm so sorry to hear about your losses. I just, I got super emotional. Just you telling that. How do you process grief, Kelly? I feel like it's one of those things that is so unique to each person in how we handle it and what that feels like. And to go against the pressure as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a creator, to kind of shove that down and just keep going, right? I feel like that's all too common, all too common to the detriment, of course, of our mental and emotional health long-term. So, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, you're enduring these, these deeply traumatic losses. What did you do to just take yourself out of the grind and the hustle and process and feel this grief? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, thank you. It was really interesting. It's, you know, for anyone who has experienced loss of any people or pets really close to you, you don't know what it's like until you go through it. I had never, my grandmother died 10 years ago and that was really hard, but I also was a very different person. I was 21, 22, and it was just such a different experience because I didn't really have awareness. I wasn't spiritual, all the things. So going through it now felt way different. I didn't know that I could feel those things. I didn't know that I could feel that sad. I didn't know that emotion existed. I'm like, oh, cool. I've had sadness and I cry. No, that's like a level that you don't, You there are no words for. And my my mom dying kind of prepared me a little bit for handling death and grief in a way. Our puppy died like three or four months after she died. And it was so hard seeing her pass away. And I was there when she died and I was holding her and it was this whole thing. But it was also, I saw the bigger picture of like how it happened and it was all divine timing and meant to be. And her passing like healed our relationship and I'm very spiritual. And so I talk to her every day in the ethereal and she's, I believe she's my guide and all the things. So for me, that was super healing. When our puppy died, he was nine and a half months old and was hit by a car And it was just not, obviously you don't expect that. And it broke me and hurt me, but it crushed Connor in a way. I just have never seen someone be that crushed. And it like sucked his soul out of him. 
and he was, he was physically in a ball on the couch and like, couldn't move, couldn't breathe. And we were both on the floor and I was throwing up and I just, I remember both of us on the floor on all fours. I was like, how do we ever get up from this? Like, what, what do you do after this? I know no one tells you what to do in these situations. And I knew that one of us had to kind of like get their shit together because we couldn't both be like that because there were like logistics and things. And so I just kind of zoomed out and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this stuff. And so I handled some of these things. And then I just remember for days, he just made sure we were drinking water. He was like, here's some water. Here's some water. (laughs) We laugh about it now. I'm like, what? How did you know to like think about hydrating when we're going through such grief? And he's like, I don't know. It just like kind of happened. And I remember too, we were so, we were in such a dark place and he still showed up and said, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And same thing for me. And it was, we just, I don't know. I don't even feel like I'm answering your question, but it just felt like in the hardest moment of both of our lives, we showed up as who we are and we were of service to each other and we held each other and we were sad and we had no expectations and we just, we were just present to the experience. And I very much went into my spiritual practice and our puppy's name is Remy. And I I immediately was like, I am talking to Remy every day. And so I'd go to his picture and I'd touch it and I would talk to him and I'd say, good morning, buddy. And I would just keep him with me all the time. And He's with me all the time. We talk all the time. It took Connor a lot longer, was very depressed, didn't have any will to do anything. And it took him a really long time. And I mean, we still cry about the puppy once a week at least. And we talk about him daily. We actually have his little brother who we got five days later, which was talk about angelic divine timing. And so we often call him Remy on accident, but he's just so in our lives. And So I don't know. I don't think that there's like a way to do it. I think for me, it was how can I have perspective around this and understanding the big picture and knowing that there's something bigger than me going on and that I do, I do trust the universe. I trust my angels, my guides, God, all the things. And I believe that everything is meant to be. And I believe we create our reality. And I believe that Connor and I are different people in the best ways possible after that experience. And it made our relationship what it is today. And so I'm so grateful that we had this gift of this little nugget who made us better people, even in losing him. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like I didn't answer your question at all. (laughs) You did answer it. You did. Because that's, you know, you're just so real and and open about this. And and I just want to appreciate you for being willing to discuss it. Yeah, I'm a very, (laughs) I'm a very empathic person. So I'm like, I'm feeling this right now. That's the first time I've ever talked about it and I haven't sobbed. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. And I'm just feeling super emotional about it just because I, I don't know. I feel just, I feel a lot. And so even though we, you know, it's our first time, like actually talking to you, Kelly, like getting deep in this podcast, I just, I want to thank you for sharing your process and your strength and your healing process. And the fact that you're still in this healing process around it. I think, you know, loss and death in general are interesting because I think we have a tendency culturally to avoid talking about it, avoid ruminating on it, avoid even contemplating it. My mother and my mentor, who's like a father, he's more of a father to me than my actual blood father was. They're both getting up there in age, right? And I've had some pretty uncomfortable discussions with both of them about dying. 
there are certain physical ailments that are happening as they go on. And it's been a very elucidating healing part of my life to have these discussions rather than acting like they're not going to die because I know that they will. And I know that it's something that I want to discuss with them before it happens. And that's another part of my appreciation of you being so open is the willingness to discuss death and loss and not act like it's this taboo thing that doesn't exist. I mean, it's coming for all of us. And so the willingness to discuss it, the willingness to be open about sexuality, the willingness to be open about death. I mean, these are two of the topics that people are just terrified to discuss. And we've gone into both of those arenas today. And I just think it's so wonderful that you've been here, Kelly, to to unpack these things. And as we get close to the finish line, I, I wanted to bring up one thing that it just flashed in my mind because you mentioned you were in Kauai and that's where you got engaged and found your dream house. And we have a mutual acquaintance slash mentor in common, I suppose, Mr. Howard Wills. Oh, Howard. Uh, yes. Mr. Howard Wills. So I know he was on your podcast. I'm curious, did you see Howard when you were on Kauai? Did you go visit him? No, I didn't get to see him. Yeah, okay. we weren't there for long enough. Okay. Yeah. Howard has been such an interesting presence in my life for about 10 years. That's probably a story for another time, but Howard has also been kind of like this older father type figure. I've had I've had a few men in my life that have kind of filled the void that has been there for me. And so when I saw he was on your podcast, I listened to a big chunk of that episode. I got so excited. Yeah. So how did you connect with Howard? How did you find him? And yeah, tell me a little bit about that because we have that mutual connection. Yeah, I love that. That's so funny. So I met Howard through my Ayurvedic doctor in Los Angeles, Marta Sofer. She runs Surya Spa. You know Marta? I know Marta and Roger. Yes. Oh, they're the yes, best. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So Marta saved my life. She helped me when I had chronic illness for 14 years. And when I went to see her and then my functional medicine, Dr. Lekos, pretty close in time to one another, they both knew what was going on. I've done almost a month of Panchakarma with her. She has been an integral part of my life. I'm actually an investor in Surya now. I just, I love everything they're about. So I was there and I was really sick and I was having this really bad back pain and I could not get it to go away. And it had been there for a long time. And she said, there's a healer here and you need to go see him. And so she takes me into the kitchen and Howard is at the table eating a bagel and just like shoving a bagel in his mouth. And Marta walks me over and says, this is Howard. And Howard says, what's going on? And so I tell him I have back pain and he's literally chewing this bagel. I mean, you know him, so you get it. He's chewing this bagel and he just starts snapping his fingers and my back probably 40% better within 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, I'm into some weird shit, but this is some next level weird shit. So then they invited me to his circle that he was doing that next night, I think at Surya. And so I went and there was maybe 25 of us in the room and he worked with almost every single person individually and then worked on the group. I left that circle and I've never had that back pain again. I kid you not. It was gone. And it was all energy. He asked me what I was holding on to and who I was angry at. And I stood up and I said, my ex. And he said, do you forgive him? And we went through the forgiveness prayers and he worked his amazing snapping magic and my back has never hurt again. Yeah. Remarkable. I mean, it's similar to my experience as well, like skeptical, but curious, but also open. It just shows you with healing and transformation, there's so much that we don't understand, but being open to it, kind of going back to the very beginning of this episode, letting go of judgment, 
letting go of preconceived notions and just being open to receive and not knowing how it works. Because to your point, is it angels? Is it spirit guides? Is Howard a channel for God? I mean, who, we could put a, a ton of different labels on it. I prefer not to put labels on stuff like that. I prefer just to say, I don't know how this is working, but it is working. Right. And I think that's part of, again, kind of the kickoff here is, can we be open to receiving love? Can we be open to receiving healing? Can we be open to receiving blessings? Not knowing how all this works. Mm-hmm. Because I think on the highest level, and you know, just to get existential here at the end, like, do we really even know what we are? We, well, we say we're human beings. Oh, we're homo sapiens and we're here on this earth and we're in these meat suits, like you said. But I think to me, I get curious about the mystery of life and how much we don't know. And that's one of the things that moves me forward is the curiosity and the awe of that. And so I think with that said, Kelly, we'll wrap this beautiful episode with you because it's been such an incredible journey. You've been such a delight, such a huge open-hearted soul. And this episode has gone in directions I certainly didn't anticipate. And it's been just incredibly beautiful and, and cracking me wide open. So thank you for everything you shared. Thank you so much. And I just want to add one more thing that really helped me in processing grief and death and all the big life's big questions. There's a book called Journey of Souls. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it was written by a hypnotherapist in the 70s, I believe. And he basically shares, I think it was 20 different clients, and he takes them through a hypnotic experience into their transition in past lives when they have transitioned in dying or when their soul has come back to reincarnate. And it's incredible. It's the best book I've ever read. I recommend it to everyone. It helped me have perspective about what our souls choose coming into these lives and the lessons we learn, our soul families, soul contracts, all of those things. But it really just helps. We get so caught up in this like 3D human experience. And for me reading this book, it just helped me see that everything truly is divine and meant to be. And we do create our experience and we know what is best for us. And we let our egos get in the way and the humaning being so hard and it just becomes a thing. But I think this book really just gives you perspective on everyone in their sovereignty, being on their own path, whether they're a puppy or a person or your mom or a tree, like whatever it is, we really choose this experience so that we can learn the lessons we get to learn. And so if you can zoom out from the hard day-to-day stuff that we make hard for ourselves and really just see the big picture, for me, it puts my heart at ease because I know that there's so much that I don't see and that I don't feel like I have awareness of as a human, that it is happening and it's beyond me and that it's perfect and as it's meant to be. So I just wanted to share that with you and your listeners. That's beautiful, Kelly. I just looked it up and added that to our show notes and I can't wait to check it out. I'm adding that to my personal reading list. It Just that phrase, putting your soul at ease, that's how I feel after having you on this show. So we are, we are honored For those that are listening, we have show notes with a link to that book, your podcast, everything else that we've mentioned here today at wellevator.com. If you haven't visited yet, it's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in the podcast section of this episode, we also have a link to the YouTube video if you're not already watching there. So you can go see the uh, physical expression of this audio experience. Thank you again, Kelly, so much for taking us on a journey. I feel like I feel <laughs> like I I'm on. It's hard to describe. You know what? I, it actually is the closest to coming out of a meditative experience. 
Like I feel like I just took a really good yoga class or did a breath work class or something like that. And if the listener feels similarly, we'd love to hear from you. Or you can just reach out to Kelly. We'll link to her website so you can hit her up uh, via email or social media or whatever works for you. Any of us would love to hear how this episode resonated with you. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 